we have been learning from the Bible's best-known dysfunctional family. And today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39. I hope you have a Bible. Please turn to Genesis 39. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to slip up your hand so our ushers can hand out a Bible. We have uh, paperbacks of the Bridge Bible. And uh, we're going to be on page uh, 29 and 30 today. Today we're going to talk about the cost of sexual purity. According to a USA Today report on March 9, 2010, a survey of 3,000 U.S. adults identifies the differences and similarities between what men and women say tempt them the most. Men said uh, sex tempts them the most. That was the highest, and they said 50%. 50% of the men said Sexual temptation was the highest. I'm guessing that's probably a little bit low. Uh, Women said sexual temptation uh, was the highest for 22% of the women surveyed. Uh, When it came to food, uh, 29% of the men said food was their biggest temptation. Women said uh, that food was their greatest temptation 56% of the time. Um, According to Leadership Journal, when uh, Americans were surveyed, um, 29% of American surveys said they had sex on the first date. What do you think of that? The average of this group surveyed, the average number of sexual partners men have in a lifetime, get this, 20 Men said they have 20 sexual partners in a lifetime. Women said they had six sexual partners in a lifetime. Of this group surveyed, the number of adults who weekly have sexual encounters with someone other than their partner, 26 million Americans. Um. And by the way, guys, I'm still recruiting men for Saturday morning. I'm doing a study called When Good Men Are Tempted. And we have like seven guys signed up. I'm looking for some, a few more men who want some uh, encouragement as we all face sexual temptation. Um, in another study in the Atlantic, uh, January, February 2010, um, every 39 minutes in America another pornographic movie is made. About $380 a second is spent on pornography in America. And this uh, was surprising to me. Um, 89% of all pornographic websites produced in the world come from the United States, of the entire world. In uh, December 2000. Nine, the Family Research Council released the results of a new study exploring the effects of pornography in marriage, on marriage, children, and individuals. And in an interesting source, citing the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, the study noted that 56% of divorce cases involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 
while 68% of divorce cases involve one spouse conducting an affair with someone they met on the internet. The study also revealed that in households where one spouse suffered from an addiction to pornography, both spouses believed that watching pornographic material was the same as adultery. Somehow people think, well, pornogra- you know, por- pornography is just, you know, it's simple, it's not hurting anybody, and yet spouses say, no, it's the same as adultery. In most cases where uh, marriage ultimately ended in divorce, the addicted spouse remained controlled by his or her addiction. And according to the study, the most impact of pornography use and its correlation to fractured family has been little discussed. The data show that as pornography sales increase, marriage rates drop. Less people are getting married. The study noted that pornography corrodes the conscience, promotes distrust between husbands and wives, and debases untold thousands of young women. Um, The director of the study, Paul Fagan, says his ultimate conclusion is that pornography is a quiet family killer. Apparently, sexual immorality is a problem in the United States. Sexual immorality was also a problem 1,800 years before the birth of Christ during the time of Joseph in the ancient world. As we've been learning from the Bible's best-known dysfunctional family, let me just review a few things. You'll remember Genesis 37, Genesis 38. Joseph grew up with 11 brothers and one sister. Joseph's siblings had four mothers. This was a complicated, blended family. Joseph's dad had a favorite wife. That's going to create a few problems. And a favorite son. Dad's choices brought fierce competition, hatred, and extreme jealousy. That's not good for a family. One of Joseph's brother had a sexual relationship with his father's concubine where it was the main servant of one of his wives. Genesis chapter 35. One of Joseph's brothers slept with his daughter-in-law and got her pregnant. Genesis chapter 38. Joseph's sister was raped, and in revenge, his older brother killed the men of the, an entire village. Joseph's brothers hated him so much that they ambushed him, threw him in a pit, sold him uh, into slavery and uh, faked his death to dear old dad. And uh, my point here, uh, this family just seemed like it was a little bit dysfunctional. Today, we're coming to Genesis chapter 39, and let me uh, bring us to the setting in Genesis chapter 39. We left Joseph back in Egypt. Genesis chapter 37, verse 36. Genesis 37, verse 36. Do we have that? We, there we go. Meanwhile, this is chapter 37. Two weeks ago, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Joseph was uh, ambushed, thrown into a pit. Brothers sold him for a little bit of silver. All of a sudden, out of the blue comes this caravan on its way to Egypt. 
And they grab up Joseph and transport him to Egypt, uh, where God has plans for Joseph, although they're not obvious at this point. That brings us to Genesis 39, verse 1. It's the last time you're going to see Genesis 39 up here. Now, Joseph, what happened between 37 and 36 and chapter 39, verse 1? Well, it was chapter 38. It was Judah, Joseph's brother, and Tamar, his daughter-in-law, okay? Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So, our story comes back to Joseph. He's in Egypt. He's a slave. Potiphar was a very high-ranking officer. He's probably like the head of the chief, the security guard. He's he's a private bodyguard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Pharaoh had been viewed as the most powerful man on the face of the earth in Egypt, and. Um, sometimes even viewed as God himself. Fortunately, Joseph didn't see it that way. Now we come to verse 2 and through verse 6, and we see that a hero emerges. Something good is finally going to happen for us. A hero emerges. With all the dark facts that I've just shared, here comes a hero. Um, In verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And so first I want us to see that difficult circumstances do not change Joseph's work ethic. Difficult circumstances do not change Joseph's worth ethic. We don't know a lot about Joseph's worth worth ethic before Genesis 39. At least I I found out that you were listening. But we're going to learn a lot about Joseph's work ethic now. Um, The key concept here is that the Lord was with Joseph. God as it worked in Joseph's circumstances. Do you know that sometimes you don't even pay attention when God is at work in your circumstances? He may be doing something really obvious and you are not paying attention. Joseph was paying attention. And, you know, what a time. How would you feel if you had been ambushed by your brothers, thrown into a pit, hated by your brothers, sold into slavery? How humiliating would that be? Not only that, when you get to Egypt, somebody sells you again to somebody else. Now, possibly discouraged, depressed, demoralized, degraded. I think those are kind of human responses when you get under the pile. Things aren't going your way. Perhaps Joseph felt all of those things at different times, but he doesn't stay there. Um, He didn't sit around and feel sorry for himself. He doesn't um, uh, become a complainer. At least we don't see Potiphar seeing Joseph as a complainer. Uh, He's not pouting. Joseph engaged in his circumstances. He took them what they were 
and then he figured out how to navigate, and then he just got on with his life. And I don't mean to make it sound super simple, but Joseph took the hand that was dealt, and then he made the best of it. And uh, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. He wasn't sitting back on his haunches. He was doing things. Um, his, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, uh, Potiphar was able to observe Joseph serving. Joseph was being responsible. Joseph was doing things that he'd been asked to do. Joseph was a slave. And Potiphar develops a very high view of this young man. And so he found favor uh, in Potiphar's eyes and he became Potiphar's attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. That's pretty amazing. And he entrusted uh, to his care everything he owned. Potiphar was probably a fairly well-to-do guy in Egypt. He was a high official. He had other servants in his house. And he says, Joseph, I like what you do. I'm putting you in charge of all of my possessions, everything. Joseph, he saw Joseph as a capable, trustworthy guy. Potiphar found Joseph to be responsible and hardworking. He promoted him quickly. He gave him what we would call a stewardship. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, A stewardship. Um, Verse in. Paul Paul is going to give us uh, instructions for us about an attitude, and it's Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. This is what Joseph embraced. Now, this this is going to come 19... This is written 1,900 years after Joseph, okay? And um, he embraced this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. This was very attractive to Potiphar to see this attitude in Joseph, a a person who uh, was there as his slave. Uh, Verses 5 and 6, faithful stewardship finds favor with God. And now we're going to see how a hero is emerging. Look at verse 5. From the time he put in charge of his household... And all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. Potiphar looked like a genius with Joseph serving him. Um, He had... Uh, the favor of God, the wisdom of God, the strength of God, the power of God was on Joseph's life. And it was uh, carrying over into Potiphar's well-being and, and in his, uh, to his finances and into his business. Um, Joseph was in charge of the household and all that he owned, and the Lord blessed uh, Potiphar's household and everything uh, he owns. And here's the question. Does your presence at your workplace benefit your employer? Is God having an impact? 
Is God's favor having an impact where you work or what you do? Maybe it's just in your home. Is uh, the strength of God, the favor of God, the grace of God spilling over to the people around you? Um, One of the things we see about Joseph, Joseph is an excellent example of what we call biblical stewardship. Uh, It's a great picture here. Potiphar, the Egyptian, put Joseph in charge. He said, my possessions I'm giving to you, Joseph, and you take care of them for me. They are not yours. They are mine, but you manage them. There's a concept of biblical stewardship. A steward is a servant. Joseph was a servant. Carry that over to us in application. We are servants. We are servants of the true and living God if we are followers of Christ. And God has entrusted us with things that he has. And he's saying, here they are. You manage them. You take care of them. All of your possessions are really his possessions because God owns everything. And he's saying, you just take care of them. You manage them. It's called biblical stewardship. And one day... There's going to be an accounting. One day I'm going to check in and see to see how it goes. And uh, uh, a passage that Jesus taught was Matthew 25, verse 21. And this is a, a parable of the talents. And this is the accounting of the servant uh, who was given responsibility for the master. And then he was checked on later. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will be, put you in charge of many things come and share your master's happiness. Potiphar had been given things to manage and his master was happy with that management. Here, this is an application for us. We have a responsibility to take care of the things that God has provided for us, whether it's our paycheck, our homes, our apartments, our cars, our education, we have a responsibility to take care of the things God provides for us. One day, we're going to check in back with God. And uh, there's this principle of being faithful. God values faithfulness. That's, a, that's exactly what Joseph was. He was faithful in what he did. And that's what God uh, calls of us, is to be faithful in the responsibility that he's given us in stewardship. In uh, verses 6 and 7, a sexual temptation erupts for Joseph. Look at verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Whoa, where does that come from? Who knew that? Joseph was an attractive man. He's college age now, you know, guys. Now, isn't it interesting that that gets included in the text? He uh, He was physically attractive. Who noticed? Verse 7. After a while, his master's wife, that'd be Potiphar's wife, call her Miss Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. That's a sexual temptation, by the way. That's pretty explicit for for somebody's wife to invite this young uh, college-age guy to, to bed. She noticed him. She took notice of him. Um, Joseph is a young Hebrew man. He is now living in Egypt. They don't dress that way in Egypt the way they do back in Canaan, Hadad's place. 
They don't wear as many clothes in Egypt. And Mrs. Potiphar took notice of young Joseph that he must have had some muscles and was very attractive to her. And uh, this temptation, it's real and it's powerful. The offer is to come to bed with me by Mrs. Potiphar. Um, Here, Joseph has been promoted fast. It would be easy for your head to spin to sort of be viewed so well and be given so much responsibility in such a wealthy environment and have access to all these things. And now Mrs. Potiphar wants access. It is offering access. And this is a very real temptation. Joseph is offered sexual favor favors by his boss's wife. Mrs. Potiphar might have been a little older than Joseph. We don't know her age. Uh, I'm guessing Potiphar had a pick of the litter or whatever you want to call his pick. I would guess she is a very attractive woman. And um, most guys, I think, would be thoroughly tempted by the situation that Joseph finds himself in. He faces a real and powerful temptation. Let me just stop and remind us of what the Bible says about temptation and sin. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Uh, We talked about this in our study in James last fall. When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But, and here's what I want you to see, each one is tempted when his own evil desire is dragged away and enticed. Just keep it right there. Each one, we face temptation by our own evil desire. There's something within us. We have a sin nature, by the way, capacity to be selfish and self-centered and dishonor God. But we have a desire. And by the way, sexual desire is, I believe, God-given. God created us with sexual desires. Having a sexual desire is not evil in and of itself. Sometimes Christians get real confused about the temptation process, but here it's marked out pretty clearly. And by the way, let me say this clearly. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. It can lead to sin. But just being tempted means uh, you uh, have blood pumping through your system. And... um, whether it's a sexual desire or whatever it is, temptation in and of itself is not sin. You have a choice once you experience temptation on what to do. And here, it's, uh, James says he's dragged away and enticed. I mean, he, uh, in this case, sin, uh, this idea of passion is, is uh, motivated and it's engaged in in the mind and it's followed through. Go to the next uh, slide. Then after a desire has conceived, something happens in the mind Sin starts in the mind. That's what Jesus taught. Uh, It gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Death as a principle. Separation from God. So um, sin starts in the mind, but you get it. You have a choice. Just temptation in and of itself is not sin. Please be aware of that. It be, uh, d- desire becomes a problem when it takes control and leads us to sin. Okay, verses 8 through 10, a choice for sexual purity. And the hero continues to emerge, a choice for sexual purity. Look at verse 8. 
but he refused. Joseph refused the advances of Mrs. Potiphar. Here's what Joseph says. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has trusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Joseph is the most important person apart from Potiphar and his wife in all the household. I'm guessing it was pretty large. Everything he owns, everything that Potiphar owns, he's entrusted to my care. This is biblical stewardship. No one is greater in this house than I am. My, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. That's normal. That's the way it should be. And the first reason that Potter gives is he wants to honor her husband. He wants to honor her husband. It's not appropriate for him to take uh, advantage of her offer. It goes against the trust that Potiphar has for Joseph, and Joseph does not want to break that trust. Joseph does not want to dishonor this husband. Reason number two, verse uh, 9, Joseph says, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Reason number two is he wants to honor God. He wants to honor God. There's quite a bit of insight into Joseph right here. He says, how, can I, how then could I do such a wicked thing? Think about this. Joseph is, in, jo, if Joseph is kind of a little bit normal and he's college age, his blood pressure is probably off the chart. You know, he's probably got adrenaline pumping through his system. And he is able to make an application here. And he is able to uh, identify that this is a... He, he, makes, he, he, put, he puts a word to it. He calls it wicked. If I go to bed with you, Mrs. Potiphar, this is evil in God's sight. He knows, he, he's able to think in the midst of this and, and make a judgment call right here. And it's a good one. It's a good judgment call. And this is one he's making for himself. He has a category for this. He has thought about this going in. He knows Think about his family. His family wasn't clear on this stuff, on who sleeps with who. But Joseph is clear, and he's able to make a good judgment call. Verse 10, the resolve of Joseph. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, even be with her. Day after day. You know, sometimes we make good choices when we're tempted, and then over time we can weaken And this comes at Joseph day after day after day. She was persistent. And uh, he refused. And it says he even refused to be with her. He got wise. He removed himself as much as possible from her presence so that this wouldn't get confusing. And God is raising up a hero. Think about this. Think about Joseph's family. It was Judah going to bed with his daughter-in-law and getting her pregnant, and he got deceived, and he thought he was going to bed with a temple prostitute, and so it didn't work out the way Judah thought it was going to work out. Reuben, his other bro- uh, oldest brother, slept with uh, one of his dad's uh, women, it, and 
things back in Canaan where God's chosen people were, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not going well, folks. They're sliding down uh, a moral pathway that's going to be extremely dangerous. God is raising up a hero here, somebody who can make a stand for sexual purity, and God is going to bless his socks off. But it's not going to be easy. Um, Verses 11 through 23, a disappointing, a disappointing cost for sexual purity. And we have the incident, verses 11 and 12. One day when he, Joseph, went into the house to attend to his duties, just doing what he was supposed to do, none of the household servants was inside. Huh. I wonder how that happened. Text doesn't tell us how it happened. It's just the way it was. That's, those were the circumstances. She caught him by his cloak. She's getting aggressive. She's grabbing him, grabs his clothing, and she says, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. One of the most practical ways to deal with temptation, he just plain ran. American macho men would say he was a chicken. He was a hero. He ran. And he just didn't get a few feet away. And, and he didn't try to share the four spiritual laws with her. He got out of there. He ran. And then there's a fabrication in verses 13 through 15. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand um, and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us. It's not her fault because this Hebrew was brought to make sport of us. He came... Uh, here to sleep with me, but I screamed. I did the right thing. And so Mrs. Potiphar is embarrassed. She feels scorned. She feels rejected. Her her self-worth has taken a big hit, and she's probably feeling pretty angry that this guy has uh, refused. And so she tells a lie. And she says in verse 15, when he heard me scream for help, I I didn't hear any scream, did you? When he heard me Screen for help. He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. See, I've got the evidence right here. I've got the evidence. He left his clothing. She is self-protective, and she blames this totally embarrassing situation on Joseph. It's not her fault. It's Joseph's fault. Verses 16 through 19, the bad report. She kept his cloak for evidence. She kept his cloak beside her. She's, and she's working at this until her master came home. Then she told him this story, the Hebrew slave you brought us. Now it's his fault that Joseph created all these problems. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. That's a a euphemism to make sport of. It's a euphemism for a sexual encounter. Um, The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, she's sticking with her story, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She's embarrassed. She's self-protective. She's angry. um, And she shifts the blame to her husband. Verse 19, when his master heard this story, his wife told him saying, this is how the slave treated me. He burned with anger. Jealous husbands do that. They burn with anger. Uh, 
Why do you think Potiphar burned with anger? The text doesn't tell us the why here. Think about this. How well does Potiphar know Mrs. Potiphar? How well does Potiphar know Joseph? I don't know the answer, but I think the answer is in the next verse. Um, Joseph's, this is prison duty, verses 20 through 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now that's a bad deal for Joseph, isn't it? It's not fair that Joseph is going to be thrown into prison because of Mrs. Potiphar. Now, how well does Potiphar know Joseph? How well does Potiphar know his wife? It would be more likely that Potiphar would have executed Joseph for messing with his wife. It would have been more likely that Potiphar would have tortured Joseph to death for seeking to have a relationship with his wife once he found out. To be thrown into prison, he may have been saving face for his wife because it's public, because the household knows what's going on, the servants in the household, they'll be talking in the community. And because it's his wife, because of her word, he has to do something with Joseph. And so uh, he is thrown into prison. But while Joseph was there in prison, verse 21, guess what? The Lord was with him. Interesting. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The hero emerges again. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden said, the warden, excuse me, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph has a new duty. It's prison duty. Now it's a new stewardship. Wouldn't that be depressing? Wouldn't that be, seem so unfair that you try to do the right thing and you end up in prison? You ever try to do the right thing and things don't go? You, you, you want to be blessed. You want God to be pleased. You want God to give you the best grade. You want God to give you a promotion. Um, and you end up with a, with a rough consequence like Joseph. Uh, he's thrown in prison. Yet Joseph, he's resilient. He bounces back. Guess what? And God is with him. Um, Joseph apparently didn't sit and sulk. Um, he didn't hang around and talk about, this isn't fair. Uh, think about this. God allowed Joseph to be thrown into a pit. God allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery. God allowed Joseph to be transported to Egypt. God allowed Joseph to be in this situation with Potiphar's wife, and God allowed him to be thrown in prison again. Do you like the circumstances you have? Are you okay if God allows difficult circumstances in your life? The key concept in 
The story of Joseph, Joseph is the Lord was with him. The story of Joseph is about God. It's, it's how God works in the lives of people. It's a story about what Joseph, it's not a story about what Joseph wanted. It's a story about God's purpose. The Apostle Paul wisely gives us instructions that I think Joseph lived with, even though maybe he'd never heard them before. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Recognize this verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence. And here's what I want you to see. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Whatever your circumstances are, the Apostle Paul tells us, continue to work out, to work, to do something, engage in life and walk humbly with your God. Work out your salvation. There's an assumption here that salvation is something we have if we're followers of Christ. We possess. It's in us. And if we walk with Christ, it's going to come out. And people are going to see what it's like to have a relationship with God. And Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be humble. Verse 13. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Joseph lived that out. He walked with God, and the Lord was with him. He walked with God, and it, and, and it was God who was willing and acting according to his good purpose. There was a way bigger purpose than whether Joseph was in prison or out of prison. A way bigger purpose that God was accomplishing. And then we have ongoing training for Joseph. Joseph started out, he was homeschooled back in Canaan. Now he's in the university at Egypt, and he's being trained. He's being trained for the future. He's being prepared. He's being equipped. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. The writer of Hebrews says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. We have human fathers, human discipline. But God disciplines us. We need to understand that discipline isn't punishment, it's training. But God trains us, disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share in his holiness. God, in the, in the way he was working in Joseph's life, was, was working for good. And he was training and preparing Joseph for something coming that's much bigger. And if you've read the rest of the story, you know what's coming but it's really important that we see how God works because he works that way in our lives too. And he trains us and he prepares us so that we can share in his holiness, so we can share more in his character and who he is. And then um, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Joseph didn't have fun in prison. There's a passage in the Psalms talks about how he was in shackles and the pain that he experienced. It wasn't just easy because he was Joseph, and it's a great story. It was hard, hard circumstances, hard times. He was lonely, and he suffered. Rejo- but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, makes us stronger, develops our endurance. Perseverance 
character develops our character, who we are, who we are when no one's looking. You know, when, when Joseph was there with Potiphar's wife, it was his character that came out. Nobody was watching him. And character, hope. I believe Joseph had hope. That's, what, that's why he got up every day. That's why he continued to serve God, because he had hope for the future. That's why God puts you and I through difficult times. Sometimes he wants to develop us. It's not about, gee, are we happy today? Gee, are every, is everything going our way? Are we getting what we want? There's a bigger purpose. And it's about God's purpose. God is raising up a hero that will save his family from destruction. God is developing a man to give leadership to his family that has been falling into a moral abyss. He's a man of integrity. He's trustworthy. He has strong moral fiber. He is passionate to honor God. And the scripture says, so God was with Joseph. I don't know what kind of person you want to be. Um, in his book, The Obedience Option, David Haig illustrates what he calls overwhelming faith. Haig was talking to a young man who claimed that he couldn't stop his pattern of sleeping with different women. This was about sexual temptation. And this guy said God had created him with such a strong sexual desire. It was really God's fault, not his fault. And so Haig gave uh, this guy an opportunity. And he said, well, suppose that you're sleeping with one of the girls that you sleep with. And uh, I come into your room while you're there with your girlfriend. And I offer you, I pull out of my wallet, 10 $100 bills and say, I'll give you this if you'll stop. What would you do? And he said, I'd take the 10 $100 bills. And the point is, what are you most passionate for? This guy was saying, I'd be more passionate about the money. And then the point was, this desire he had is controllable, isn't it? He can make a choice. He can choose what is most important. And this is a lot about our relationship with God. How important is that relationship with God? Are you as passionate about walking with God as you are about choices that lead to sin? Pretty good. Pretty good question. God has raised up a hero. He's a model. Let's stand and pray. Thanks, Father, for uh, the story of Joseph, and thank you for a model for us of um, somebody who had difficult circumstances, and yet he just seemed to prosper. And God, uh, we look in the Bible and these people are just ordinary people. They're just like us. We're ordinary. And sometimes uh, people in the Bible look like such giants. And some of those people really made some silly mistakes. God, help us as we uh, handle difficult circumstances. Help us to focus on you. Help us to desire to grow. May we be willing to accept the training you provide for us and embrace it and seek to walk with you through it so that you would be honored. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.